Hey everyone, I'm Jasmine Falk Dickerson. Welcome to the podcast. Today's episode is a follow-up to one of the most controversial conversations I've had on my podcast. Addressing the impact of the Catholic Church on the life of my guest was at the core of our previous discussion. I encourage you to revisit episode 13 in season 3, Confronting the Culture of Shame, and then tune into this conversation as we examine the aftermath of that episode. This conversation is bold, insightful, and inspiring. Today, I want you to meet Crystal McDonald and a special surprise guest. Crystal, this is such a wonderful full circle, full circle moment for me. First of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to do this with me again. Hi, Jasmine. Thank you so much for asking me to be back. Oh, absolutely. I will tell you, and I want the uh, the listeners to hear this, yours was the most listened podcast episode of all of my podcasts. And oh so, my gosh. yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of phenomenal when I saw the reaction to the number of listeners. What it said to me is that your message and your story not only struck a nerve, but it's so, so important, the decision and the courage that you found to to share your story. So thank you. I want, I mean, I want to start off by thanking you for that, for doing that. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell my story and hopefully, well, definitely, I think it's impacted several people. So, and I hope to continue to do so. I know you will. I I have no doubts that you will. Um, And so I, I do want to start first thing, just asking you, how are you doing? First of all, how are you doing just in general? And how are you doing since that podcast episode came out? Well, in general, I would say I'm doing well. Everybody's healthy and happy. And we're finding, like we said, uh, our new normal. And uh, since the podcast has come out, it's been very interesting. (laughs) I've gotten a lot of feedback, Mm. a lot of positive feedback, a lot of um, text messages, emails about um, specifically women uh, feeling less alone, feeling um, that they left the church years ago and... and, uh, felt heard and seen when they listened to the podcast, like Mm. they resonated with my story. And then the sad part was that I got messages from women that haven't left and that feel stuck and don't know what to do. Feel like they can't talk to their spouse or, you know, extended family about how they feel young people as well. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it we, a we lot of people. yeah, we definitely want to talk about that. Um, the first thing before I di- we dive into a little deeper, because I do want to ask more questions about those kind of responses that you've heard. Um, I want to ask you about. I think an airplane is going by right now. I don't know if we're <laughs> going to be able to hear this. I, uh, I'm set up with incredible equipment here, but who knows? It might be picked up. So that's what that is. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is the the aftermath. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so the, the aftermath, the definition of an aftermath in the dictionary is the consequences or after effects of a significant unpleasant event. Um, so for example, food prices soared in the aftermath of the drought. However, you can also think of the aftermath as something positive when you look at new grass growing after a mowing or harvest or after a burn or after a pruning. So I choose to look at the aftermath here in your story as something incredible that came after something so important 
or something so drastic. And so the aftermath of you telling your story and coming out so bravely with those truths is what we want to talk about today. So the first thing I want to ask you is before we jump into the congregation, the church, the people, let's talk about your family. I know your immediate family has very um, supportive feelings, uh, but can you share a little bit more if you've heard from direct, immediate, and also extended uh, farther away family about how they reacted to your story and your podcast? Um, I would, I, hmm. My my fam my extended family that I that I have communication with have all been extremely supportive. Family that I do not have communication with, I have no way of knowing if they've heard it or what their thoughts are. I I hope they heard it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my the family that I do have communication with have all been incredibly incredibly supportive and have grown with me on this you know faith journey that I'm on. That's amazing. And I, I and that's really reassuring because sometimes even when we think we have the greatest support system and we come out so raw and so real, sometimes it's not always the most kind of accepted. And so if if your family has heard you and heard you from the core, I think that's the greatest gift in this whole tragic event. Um so let's talk about the backlash. Um Tell us a little bit about how the church reacted, because um, I know you've heard, and I know you've, um, yeah, I think you have some things to share with us, and I would love for you to share some of that in general. Um, so, like I said, a lot of positive feedback, a lot of support, um, but I did get a little bit of negative feedback. I received a couple letters in the mail from um, parishioners that felt that I... Uh, I, I think the podcast struck a nerve, especially I'm thinking of one in particular, a woman who has uh, children that are gay that she has um, disowned. Oh. She does not communicate mm. with. And so hearing in the podcast us discuss unconditional love, I think really struck a nerve for her. And um, she wrote to basically defend her stance on um, not having a relationship with her children in order to hopefully help them get to a place of eternal salvation someday, which is just so heartbreaking. And then to read that she received that spiritual direction from different priests at the local parish that I attended was even more heartbreaking to read. So she's admitting that the messages she's received are from actual men that have given her this directive rather than even use the excuse of like, well, it was spoken to me through God or through some kind of spiritual divinity. This was correct. Okay. Correct. Because when you can attach, well, you know, father so-and-so said this and gave me the spiritual direction in the Catholic community that holds weight, you know, but I could care less about that. I think it's absolutely insanity. And I, I feel just uh, heartbroken about that. It leaves me speechless. I'll be honest with you. It just leaves me speechless that someone could accept the word of another human being over their own instinct as parents to protect their children. Yeah. Yeah. She said it was her ultimate goal as a mother to get her children to heaven and that this was how she had to do it. It was like a form of tough love. And, you know, I, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I, I, 
more and more, it, it blows my mind that having come so far in history as we have and having developed intellectually as we have, that we still don't view organized religions as they are um, and the way they're being modeled today as any different from cults. Um, yes. or, or political, you know, cults and political models. It's 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 all the same ideology. And I think for people who are in denial about that, I wish they would just read up on cults, even if it's just to criticize cults, because I think they will see some things that will really surprise them. I have to tell you, I love that you said that. I agree a hundred percent. It's something Sean and I have talked about. Um, he's kind of given me the definition of cult as being something that is more small, you know. But but I. In watching things like Leah Remini's show about Scientology in the aftermath, there were things that were happening in there that in that show that would resonate with me, that would make me go, huh. Mm. You know, I can see how the church operates in some of these similar ways. I started to make those connections, and that was years ago. Mm. Well, keep in mind the idea that cults are usually small. It's because we witness the tabloid version of the modern-day cults that usually end because they're tragic or because we have a way to dissect them from the very onset of their birth because of media and TV. But, But religions are cults that started thousands of years ago. So they've had a chance to grow and get to the point that they're at. So, uh, you know, I, I would I would not rush to saying that cults are only exclusively in small capacities. I think nowadays, modern cults that are in organized religion, it's because they've had, you know, wings to soar with and legs to run with, um, with the amount of time that they've had and the lack of sort of eyes from media and TV and all the technology that we have today. And And I will say this, a cult is not always a horrible thing. There are aspects of a cult that actually create a lot of unity and a lot of belonging. Um, and it's not always a bad thing. Like if you belong to the cult of, you know, loving some, you know, like deadheads who love, you know, the Grateful Dead or, you know, there there are certain cults that just unite you for one big passion or one exciting experience. Uh, not when it becomes so infiltrated in your life and your life choices. Um, that's when it becomes problematic. Right. So tell me a little bit more about um, some of the responses, first of all, that you received from people, both the positive and the negative. Uh, let's start with the positive, because I definitely want to focus even more in depth on the, um, on the less pleasant responses. But let's talk about the positives. How have you seen um, the, the response from people um, and what kind of inspiring things have you heard? Um, just a lot of thank yous, you know. Thank you for having the courage to say what you said. Thank you for speaking out. Thank you for making me feel seen and heard and less alone. I think, you know, you leave a community and then it's like, that's it. You're just out there. You're on this island kind of floating by yourself and and you're questioning everything, you know. And so um, just to hear a lot of women write to me saying like, yes, yes, I I understand. I agree. I'm with you you know, let's talk. I've taken lots of walks with different women, had lots of phone calls. And so there's been a lot of like positive fruit. Oh, that's <laughs> that amazing. So you come from this. You're building your own little sort of community now out of this, right? Like a community of yes. survivors almost. Yeah. Any talk about how and where you want to take this? Because I, I've said this to you before in the other podcast, there's, there's power in your story. Uh, this needs to this needs to continue growing. It doesn't have to be anytime soon or so fast, but do you feel like there's a strength in now with you uniting with other voices and other women and their stories that you want to consider taking this 
beyond to help more women and, and more families? Uh, that's funny that you ask because um, I was speaking with a dear friend of mine last night and we were talking about the sense of this need for community, you know, and how we can build that. And so that's something we're kind of collaborating and thinking about together. So I don't have anything like concrete yet, mm-hmm. but definitely something we're thinking about and discussing and, and I've been doing some writing. So, you know, Yes, the things writing. Are, things are happening. <laughs> Good, yeah. And you know what? And take your time. I mean, um, sit on it, nest with it, and and let it hatch when it's ready. Uh, you're already doing all the work. I mean, you've already prepped everything, and, and you're there's no stopping you now, in other words, is, is what I'm getting to, because there really is no stopping you. Now that you know, especially for someone that is naturally nurturing like you are, now that you know the impact, you can't you can't hold back, right? Right. Totally. That's what I was telling my husband last night. It's like, I can't unknow what I know. And I want to help other people that are having that tugging, you know, like maybe this isn't right. Maybe this is wrong. Maybe, maybe I need to start asking why, you know, like Mm. that was something that I never really did in the church. Why? Why? Mm. It was just like, this is what the church teaches. And so I never went beyond that. Exactly. Until, you know, the last few years. Yeah, so powerful. So how have you responded to the women who have contacted you and said, I feel stuck? Um, just trying to be a listening ear, honestly. Like I get text messages about different things that they might hear or things that they're reading or things that have been said to them and just kind of building a trust there, like, you know, that, that they have someone outside that is not going to judge them, that is just going to listen and give my thoughts on whatever they might need them for, you know, and just be a friend. That's, I have to say, that's extremely admirable because I think um, there's two forms of activists. There's the activist that is extremely aggressive in their action, and then there's the activist that really holds space and lets things um, find their way naturally. And it sounds like you're finding a way to allow that process to happen naturally. It would be so easy to say, well, get out of there. Well, what are you waiting for? You know, I did it. You can do it. And instead, it sounds like what you're offering is just the support system that says, first of all, you'll know when you're ready because you knew when you were ready. And sometimes the best remedy in that moment, the immediate, you know, a response to an acute situation is just support and an ear. And right. I think that's a that's a not only a wise approach but a very generous approach. Thank you. Yeah. For, for some people, it's just not their reality to be able to walk away. You know, for some folks, their livelihood is tied up in that decision, so it's it's hard. Yeah, and you had the advantage of having a husband that was supportive and and a family that really could understand and support you. You didn't meet a lot of resistance in that capacity, like maybe some women do, where it's impossible. To, to say something because it would break the family. Would you say that that's one of the reasons why they're feeling stuck and, and held back? Yes. And, and I do, when I reflect back, there definitely have been growing pains throughout the process for the whole family in different areas, you know, but um, so in that way I can relate. But, can you, can um, you talk to us about that? Because I, I know you talked a little bit about it in the other episode, but now that you're reflecting and looking back with an even, you know, an even broader lens, um, anything that you can share with us about how, just because I think it would help listeners also as they, 
uh, you know, analyze their own uh, situation and circumstances? Well, I think that there is some of the growing pains I would describe as grief, you know, and so there was a lot of loss in 2020, you know, for, for everyone all over the world. And for our family, we lost our faith community. You know, we lost, ultimately the community was an illusion. It's not, it wasn't really community because if it was, it wouldn't have turned its back on us and others. It wouldn't, things wouldn't have happened the way they did, you know, but so there's just that realization for the whole family that, uh, that that was gone and kind of grieving through that together. And you know how grief comes and goes in waves. So everybody was feeling it at different times and we're still processing Mm. through, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you think that that is one of the blessings of the pandemic's lockdown for you, for your family, that 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 was one of the ways that you were able to disconnect? Do you think you would have been able to as soon as you have had, had you not been in the midst of the pandemic lockdown? I don't know that I don't know what would have happened if mm-hmm. the pandemic hadn't happened, but it kind of like it grounded me. It was like, no, 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 no. I, God gave me a conscience. I can know right from wrong inside, you know, I can feel it. We all can feel it, mm-hmm. I think. So, you know, so um, when things were happening and I'm like, no, I know that's wrong. You know, I wasn't in the pew being indoctrinated every Sunday to not listen to myself and to listen to the church. Wow, you know? that's huge. That's huge. So so do you think then if you if you had been carrying on life as normal, if the pandemic hadn't happened and you were still attending church every day and still seeing on social media some of the things that we're all seeing, do you think you would have had the same pull towards accepting and understanding what was happening? Or do you think you would have still weighed it with everything that you're being taught and told at church. Does that make sense? I I think I understand what you're saying. Um, With with the rise of Donald Trump in 2016, when I started to see church leaders make excuses for him after listening to eight years of how awful Obama was and how they just criticized every single thing, and then to see things that Donald Trump has said and done, how he treats women, how he behaves, and to have excuses made for him and hear things that he's a godly man and whatever else. I mean, I think I would have eventually, like... I was already tired of it in 2016, Mm -hmm. so I would have eventually gotten there, but I think it would have been a lot harder to get there because having that time away from church gave everyone in the house some clarity, if if that makes sense, if that answers your question. Yeah, excuse me. It totally makes, by the way, allergies are really bad, so the throat is like (laughs) really trying to do its thing. Um, It makes total sense because what what that tells me is that... um, the stance upon which the churches, especially those who are very conservative, stand upon is um, a stance of racism, homophobia, anti-progression, anti-progress, anti-all of those things, uh, anti-liberalism, all of those things. You could still have your conservative values, but still recognize a value for what it is. Because at the end of the day, I think we all share the same common values of kindness and and, and fairness and justice. Uh, but that that mentality of 
morals and values has, has been warped because it is very subjective, but it has also been warped. And so for eight years to criticize Obama, I don't have a problem with folks criticizing his uh, political positions because, again, I can understand that some stand on a different side. But the man had nothing to be criticized as a human being, as a person right. of morals and ethics. And yet Trump, you know, um, was valued and and taken above all for his position as a human being, not just as a politician, which he is not, you know? Right. So I hear what you're saying, and I think that's really powerful. Um, I wish more people who are driven by the stance of morals and values and ethics can really see that. It, it's incredible that you were able to see that. Um, do you think more people in religious institutions and, and congregations see it but are in denial? Or do you think they're more brainwashed? than anything um i'm not sure i'm not i think what i will say is i think more people are seeing it and more people are leaving and they are walking away you know and so um the more that the church doubles down and digs their heels in the more they the church will continue to bleed like i had someone tell me that the local parish that i attended is bleeding they're struggling because a lot of people have left and rather than reflect why that's happening, they've got to come up with all these excuses outside rather than think about what are we doing as a community that is pushing people away? What are we saying that isn't connecting, you know? Yeah. So I don't really know for people that are, that are staying that are, I, I guess, indoctrination, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure. But Crystal, do you think that this is that that we're seeing, you know, these um, bleeding situations because we're in a progressive area like the Pacific Northwest, especially Western Washington? And do you think it's also because it's the Catholic Church that has already gotten a bad rap and a bad reputation? Because when you're li- looking at, uh, you know, other fundamentalists and, you know, evangel- evangelicals and all of those other really intensely uh, conservative and, and devout, um, uh, I, I, I want to use the word sects, but what denominations, whatever they're called, uh, mm-hmm. to me it's all the same. But do you think that that's why you're hearing more of it here? Or do you, do you think, based on what you're, you're reading in your research, that this is something kind of across the, you know, the, the lines? I think it's across the lines for sure. That's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting Mm. (laughs) because people are kind of, uh, I don't want to say waking up, you know, but there's this uh, realization that um, there's a realization of finding that conscience in yourself and being able to tell right from wrong and not like, I have a lot of hope for my kids and the future because the quicker we can pull out of these cultish communities and just live with unconditional love with one another, the better off our society will be. I see that you post a lot of these um, kinds of thoughts from other social media um, vocal uh, people. Um, So there is hope. I wish that we could see more of that because I think those hateful voices are still trumping over these, you know, uh, waking up voices. What do you think it would take? How do you think that we can help and support the movement of this kind of, and, and I'm not, I'm not in, in this context, I'm not talking about the woke culture. I'm talking literally about the spiritual or religious awakening that you refer to. 
I don't really know that I have an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing I was talking about with a friend of mine is that, you know, every Sunday the the priests, pastors, where whatever you attend, um, they have a microphone and they can reach, you know, uh, several people, <laughs> a nice crowd. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not everybody has that, you know? And so I think it's more in those small connections and building relationships that at least for myself, I see, I can make an impact. I don't know about on a larger scale, mm-hmm. It has to happen, though. It really does. Let's talk about that microphone that you just mentioned, um, because I know there has been some pretty uh, insightful responses and reactions to the podcast episode that we recorded. I would love for you to share a little bit with us about some of that aftermath. I want to go back to that initial uh, question about what have you heard, not just from the parishioners, but also from the leaders well, I had someone who is uh, friends with someone that's still in the church uh, tell me that uh, a lot of people were listening from church and that they were starting to be told not to listen to the podcast. Whoa. So I heard that and thought, wow, like these are people that I shared community with for 20 years, especially some of the folks that... Um, are in leadership positions, you know, that, that have known me for a really long time and known my family for a really long time. So, um, that was just shocking to hear. And then I felt like it was confirmed during a homily that was given by my path, by my former pastor, where he said, and I quote, listen to, let me give it a little context. Mm -hmm. He was talking about what Catholics should read and watch and listen to. Wow. And he says, listen to good and balanced podcasts about the Catholic faith and the church's teaching. Our tradition is rich and deep, thoughtful and reasoned. Stay away from the fringe podcast. You can usually tell them because they are angry, self-righteous. They are often accusatory, blaming and shaming. End and quote. that was about, oh my gosh. Yeah, oh. And that was about a month after the podcast had been out. So, so first thing, do they usually talk about podcasts in church? No, no. I've been <laughs> at so. that church for <laughs> 20 years and never heard a homily about podcasts. what podcasts you should or shouldn't listen to. <laughs> okay. So. That's very exciting. First of all, thank you to uh, whoever said that, whoever said that quote, because honestly, that's probably why that was the most listened episode of all of the <laughs> podcast episodes that I released, it released. And, and, you know, and I'm not even, you know, a, a famous podcaster. Um, the podcast does well, and I, I have very intelligent and intellectual listeners, and some curious ones. And I think that particular episode, and thanks to that particular speech, uh, we've gained a lot more curious listeners. Um, so th- that's that's a lovely thing. Um, and, and to whoever is listening right now that may subscribe to that ideology and that way of thinking, um, you know, I just want to say that um, the truth will set you free, and each one of us has their truth. I don't necessarily feel the need to change someone else's truth if they believe it, 
What I find problematic is the imposition of their truth on others. And I think at the end of the day, that is what you and I are talking about here. You've done a really brave thing by disclosing and uncovering a lot of the horrors that happen, things that I would never know because I have not belonged to that community and many people like me may not. So what you did in that respect is extremely brave. But the ultimate goal of what we're doing here is really giving the shedding light and giving permission to the fact that there isn't just one truth, that we all have the entitlement of choosing our truth. Right. And would you say that that's something that is probably an impossibility to come to terms with or agree with, with individuals in organized religions? Um, to speak as far as the Catholic Church, they believe that they have the fullness of truth. And other religions have pieces of the truth, but they have the fullness, which then creates this whole, I mean, and also it, it matches the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. There's this, uh, there's always someone to look down upon. There's, I think that's partly how they keep people in the pews. And I don't think parishioners realize that, that there is this, uh, you're, you're good because you're here and you're not, you're not like them out there out in the world, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, talk about secularism and the way it's, the way it's phrased is so, it's just mean, you know, there's just, there's just a meanness to it. And, um, and I, and I, I check out homilies every now and then, especially when someone asks me to, and it's fascinating now listening because I can hear it. I can, I can pinpoint what's happening, what's being done, what's being said to convince people to stay and to point fingers at the others, all the other people, the gay community, the trans community, the whoever is the, the, the bully or the, the villain for them that Sunday, you know, I hate it. It makes me, makes me so sad. Yeah. It, how do you think they justify the, and this is a really, really important thing to ponder, how do you think they justify their um, strong belief in having the full truth with the so-called message of loving and accepting all that Jesus brought to us? Well, that's the thing, Jasmine. I would say... There's a cognitive dissonance that happens. It's this idea of a God who can love unconditionally, but here's the church putting all the conditions on God's love. That's powerful. So it makes, you can't make sense of it, you know? And um, and you can see it in some scripture too. It's this vengeful God, but then also this God of love. So it, it that's... It makes it easy for the church to kind of pick and choose what they're, how they're going to manipulate scripture that week or with whatever's happening in the world around us. Yeah, it sounds very, uh, you know, when you think of like when you watch in movies, uh, not just in movies, in real life, when there's like those cops that interrogate um, a so-called, you know, um, uh, suspect, and they 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 do the good cop, bad cop thing, and they drive them so crazy that at the end they'll just confess or just say anything just to just to get out of that situation of trauma. What right. I'm hearing is the religion is sort of 
presented and offered in that way as well, where we are talking about the good things, but we're also talking about these intense things. And the contradiction of that messaging at the end just makes people just like literally just respond with um, almost like a hypnotic state of like, I will just follow whatever you say. I mean, it feels like a, some type of spiritual hypnosis. Would you, would you For say sure. that? For sure. 100%. Yeah. I completely agree with that. So what made that hypnosis click for you? How did you snap out of it? Who snapped? What, 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 you know, how the magician has to snap for you to get out of the hypnosis? What was the snap for you? Well, the first big snap was after I had been doing um, volunteer work. And I think we talked about it briefly on the other episode, but um, paid staff was a paid staff person was verbally and mentally abusive towards me. And, um, I went to my pastor about it and let's just say he, he, uh, sided with the paid staff person and that nothing came of it. And I remember he said to me, um, you can stay and you can stay and continue on with the ministry or you could walk away. This is what he said to me on the phone after we'd had like three different meetings about this. And I said, so what you're telling me is I can stay and tolerate this person's abuse or I walk away. And he said, yes. Unbelievable. And then I hung up the phone and I sobbed. And that next Sunday I went to church and I sat there. I'm going to try not to get emotional. Mm. And I thought like, what about people that have said that they've been sexually abused? Oh. What, what, and it was like the, that was the big moment for me. And since then, especially this last year, I've been listening to survivors stories and I've learned about SNAP, which is the survivors network of those that have been abused by priest and bishopaccountability.org and different organizations that are just like, in my opinion, out there doing God's work because it was painful for me to not have him do not have my pastor do the right thing. I can't even imagine what it would be like if I had been sexually abused. And there have been thousands upon thousands of people. I mean, everyone sees it in the media. It's like every other day, just this last week out of uh, New Jersey, an $87 and a half million dollar lawsuit that was settled to abuse victims, you know, disgusting. Yeah. So that was my, that was, that was probably when like the, that was that first crack in the glass, you know, and then it's just spread. Well, and, and I use the, I use the uh, expression of snapping out of your hypnosis, not even knowing that there was this acronym for this snap group. That's kind of incredible. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm just like yeah. sitting here going, what did you just say snap? That's kind of, crazy. I mean, what, what a powerful acronym for a metaphor that's really, really so symbolic and so reflective of what's happening. I, I want to spend a, a couple more minutes on this story because I know we talked about it last episode, but I really think that this is where the seed is planted for individuals who are still listening uh, to your story and still not finding that um, it's not even courage because honestly, uh, uh, this is not about shaming people for not finding the the right kind of opportunity because this is this is also about opportunity. It's also about um, because bravery is just acknowledging that this is happening. It really is about opportunity. 
you were lucky to have the opportunity of a supportive family, a supportive husband, supportive children, and you know, and other members that you may have been surrounded by that said, "Well, let's talk about this." A therapist, you know, um, right? In situations where people are so isolated in their experience, especially victims, especially women, and especially in situations where they are also sexually abused, how? I know this is hard, so don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but how would you encourage them to continue to take care of themselves while they're waiting for that opportunity to make a change? Oh, that's a big question Um, that I don't know I have the answers to. All I, I think what I can speak to is just what I've been trying to do with, with people that I know that feel stuck. And that's just be a listening ear, be a support, find someone that is outside of the church that you trust, that you can talk to, you know, and kind of try and gauge what you're hearing and maybe what other people might think, you know, some, a trusted person, you know, family, friend, whoever. That's huge. Finding someone on the outside. I think that's, that's huge. That's a really, really good point. Um, I want to say that one of the ways that um, we can start thinking about change is starting with listening to people and validating them. For those of us who are on the outside that can just offer support, um, listening to them, validating them, asking them how we can support them. And then if we can take action, we can take action on their behalf or or with them. Um, And it sounds like that's what you're doing and that's what you're offering. I think that's a really perfect model. And I hope more folks who are listening that have also left like you and can relate to your story can start to be that person also for other people. I think that's really powerful. Uh, Do you have any kind of stories or anecdotes that you can share with us that um, you've seen some of this transpire in recent time? Um, If I could say something to kind of, it kind of ties in with all this, but um, someone reached out to me and asked me to listen to a homily that was given just a few weeks ago. And I have a quote here that I want to share please, and then I want to respond to it because I think it's really important for the listeners to understand something. Uh, The pastor said, this is not some passing fad in your life. And he says this to Catholics that are, or to people that are getting ready to become Catholics at Easter. They're about to get baptized, receive their first communion, their confirmation, all of it in one evening. He says, this is not some passing fad in your life. This is not some hobby you pick up and put aside whenever you want. This is not like a new pair of clothes that when you get tired of them, you simply throw them away. He goes on to say, are you prepared to defend the church and its teachings, even to your own family? And for people that have spent 20 years in the church like myself, I did not walk away because it was a passing fad. I did not walk away because it was a hobby that I was tired of. To be that dismissive and that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just so... Condescending? Condescending. um, It's minimizing why people leave. There are Mm -hmm. people that have left for so many reasons, and it's usually because of stuff that's gone on in the church, with the leadership. Um, Like, when I think about people that have been sexually abused, they did not walk away because it was a passing fad, you know? And so um, it's just so... I just need listeners to know that people do not walk away 
it easily. It's not an easy thing to do. It has not been the easiest for me. And there's a person that I'm friends with that left 10 years ago and is still, still struggles, Mm. you know? So, um, I just think that's such an unfortunate thing to say to folks that, uh, that that's why to paint people that have walked away as being, you know, people who just didn't care enough. They didn't care enough about the church or whatnot, you know, so. That quote is a, is a quote that is so orchestrated and so calculated to infuse the, the root and seed of Catholicism and most religions, which is guilt. Yes. So they've planted Uh that seed at the very beginning. As we welcome you, make sure that you take a bite of the guilt cake. Here you go. And now join us. I mean, that's that's exactly where it is. It's that guilt. It's that shaming. It's that um, it's that approach of I have now taken control, and you have got to respond to this. Mm -hmm. And so, what do you think the mindset is in that moment for people who are taking a bite of that cake? Because you've been there. Yeah, I think that there is, um, I mean, a lot of, so many different things bring people to conversion and he was speaking to adults, you know, so, you know, lots of different reasons bring people to the church, but, um, I think people are longing for love and community and belonging and for God and meaning. And, um, unfortunately this is where, I mean, that's, the story gets a little sad after that because you're not going to find that there. Oh, that, okay. That's we 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 have to we have to elaborate. Tell me how you were able to find those things outside of organized religion. Um, I'm still finding them. Mm. I think it's a I think it's a little more challenging to build community because you don't have that you know meeting every Sunday where you're seeing the same faces and the same people and um. So I'm building that right now. I'm trying so, to build that. But let's talk about the importance of that. Um, let's talk about because I think it's. I think there's value in this. Um, I think there's value in recognizing why for some people this is so important, and how do we find ways to either keep that a safe space or recreate it in a safe space. Let's talk about the importance of those aspects because I mean I don't know what that feels like. I've never belonged to a you know a religious institution or a congregation or, uh, but I do belong to a music community, a vibrant you know intellectual community. Those are all spaces that feed my soul, um, and I, so I recognize the value in that. What do you think about that? That happens in the religious context. Um, uh, let's see how I can word this. Let's talk about that, the importance of that, and let's talk about how that can be separated from the dogma and from the brainwashing and from the kind of the imposition of how to live your life. I'm trying to make sure I understood your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it a it's a comp- <laughs> it's a, I, I've taken you sort of around a loop-de-loop, um, so or around a maze. So you made a really good point in the statement of recognizing how that's there's grief in that loss, right, and losing that community that every right. Sunday that, and I, I want I want to make sure that we acknowledge the importance of that. So tell so let's start by you telling me how that served you, served your family, and fed you. Um, in a way, let's disconnect that from the difficult situations. Let's just talk about the the value and the beauty in that practice. Like in the practice of community at mm-hmm. church? Yeah. 
Um, to be honest, when I reflect back on community, I never really felt like I fit. I never really felt like I belonged. And that might be a surprise for some people to hear because my husband and I were very close with, uh, different church leaders, different, we were very involved. We'd been there for 20 years. I did music ministry. So I was, you know, a visible person there, but I didn't really feel like I belonged. I've kind of felt like I was faking it till I made it, Whoa. you know? Mm. So, um, the community that I'm building with people now, I feel like I feel like I do belong and I do fit because I'm able to be my authentic self. And that was something that you, at least from my experience and from what I've seen from people that I know there, you can't be that self. You have to put on the front. And so how can you ever have authentic community with people that can't be authentically themselves. So I think the, com- the idea of community is, a, is an illusion there. Hmm. As opposed answers. to, yeah, that answers that part of the question. Do you mm-hmm. think that for some people, though, it does give them more? Do you think some people feel like they really belong? And that does it feed them in the ways that it's meant to feed them? Whether or not it's how they should be fed, that's a... I don't think so, but I do. I'm sure there are people that feel like they belong like men, for example, probably a lot of men in in the church feel, feel very comfortable Mm. in their positions. I would say women, not as much. I, I have to say it's really, really valuable to hear this from you because I have an aversion to organized religion and and the setup of the organized religion. Uh, I have an aversion to the, the control that all religions kind of um, impose on on members of society. I think I think it's completely absurd that that even is a thing and that exists. And so, but coming from someone that has lived it, would you say that now having had that experience and having left, and also not just an experience, I mean, you had committed yourself, you were devoted to this. As far as you know, this was the path of the rest of your life and your family's life. Um, but you made the decision and now stepping away from it. Would you say that there is no redeeming qualities to the idea and the structure of these organized religions? No, there's no redeeming qualities for me. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. Not when I see the pain and the hurt that it that is caused. It's just, you know... Like when you have a, a, a little pond and you throw a stone and you see that ripple effect, I mean, I just, it's like thousands of stones, just the waters are raging and there's grief caused by church churches and leadership all over. You know, it's not just the Catholics. It's, I hear it on, thank God for social media in that way, because people are able to connect and find community, even from states, countries away, you know, and share their stories and and talk about their experiences and feel less alone. Yeah, Crystal, I don't see redeeming qualities. I I really appreciate that. I, I appreciate your your um your bravery in in making that statement because it's a huge statement, and I, I I agree with you. Do you think? Well, let me ask you this: What do you think is the ultimate goal of these organized establishments? Um, and I ask because what I want to know is, um, besides the control, 
And besides the, what what is the what is the end game for them? What is the ultimate goal? <laughs> Money and power. Okay, I think. I I mean I do. The Catholic Church is run like a business. So it's you a know. glorified corporation under the name of God. Yes, they are selling you God. They are selling oh, you Jesus. Wow, wow. Okay, okay. You know? All right, we're on to something here. Because I was having a, a really interesting discussion yesterday with my sons about the difference between corporations and churches. We were talking about um, the latest law in, in Florida with DeSantis kind of attacking Disney. And while I'm not a fan of corporations, and I'm I'm happy to have corporations pay their fair share, I still think it's going from one evil pocket to another, because I view the government also as pretty evil in how they handle taxes. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, my big stance was, let's go after the churches too, because the churches are nothing but corporations. At least corporations are giving you an end product. What is the church giving you? But you just said it. They're selling you God. Yes. Whoa. And they're getting, and they're getting, uh, at least as of right now, the Republican Party, they're getting the voters. You know, it's all, it's very, it's all very connected. And they are selling you God and they, there is a fear that is put in you. Like you talked about that Catholic guilt, you know, what, what was being said to those folks coming into the church. It's like, um, they, there's the fear of hell, and so they sell you on the idea that this is the fullness of the truth. You belong here. You can fit here. You can um, worship God here. This is actually the only place you can worship God. And so here comes the collection basket, you know. It's just, uh, it's gross, Mm. It's gross. When when priests were texting me, telling me that I had to vote for Trump or my soul was in jeopardy. What? I mean, oh, yes. We talked about it on the last podcast. We but sure it's did. But it's, it's every time. It's I'm like, still, no. I loved your reaction to that because it's literally <laughs> a reaction I have almost on a daily basis still. Like, I just cannot believe that that happened. And of course, the more I've studied church history, oh, it makes sense. But it's still a shocker for me. You know, that, I mean, just wow. (laughs) Yeah, just wow. wow. Just wow. I have to say, churches have really, I mean, they they deserve the award for the best real estate organization, company, business, because they are selling you, literally, they are selling you real estate in the afterlife. Yeah. That's that's literally all, all they're doing. Yeah, and no one really knows what happens. So it's like they're just selling you on this idea that hopefully you'll be there. And hey, it's worth, uh, what did he say here? Being prepared to defend the church and its teachings, even to your own family. Like the woman that I know who sacrificed her children for their salvation, you know? She sacrificed her time with them now. Like, oh, that makes me sick. And then in reference to Florida— I, it's interesting to see all these um, GOP folks that are really worried about pedophiles and groomers. Meanwhile, not looking at what's going on in churches. There's none of that, right? You know, <laughs> uh, accusation is always confession. They're always pointing the finger. Oh, that's so good. Accusation. Say that again. Well, it's not. It's something I've read in many mm-hmm. different places, so yeah. I can't take credit for it. But in the GOP, and as far as some of the folks are from church are concerned, accusation is always confession. That's brilliant. So, and it's just, 
I heard that at the beginning of 2020 and it has stuck with me for the last two years because I feel like I watch it play out on the news and in the community. That's powerful. That, that's, you know, for me in, in my kind of social justice work, when when people come and ask me, well, do you think that this is, you know, really equitable? Is it is it not like infusing more racism or, you know, anytime you're doing equity and inclusion work, there's immediately someone that says, you know, like even with just just now as we watched, you know, um, Justice uh, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, you know, and, and all these questions about, well, is it really fair? Is it? And, and my answer to that always is if you're asking the question, that means you have no idea how important this is because you stand in a position of privilege and you have no idea why this is important. The fact that you're asking the question is yet another piece of confirmation that this is beyond important and the right thing to do. So it's the right. same thing where it's like the minute you start questioning, it's like, oh, there you are. Thank you for validating our position of recognizing this is important. Um, let's take a little um, breather here because I want to invite Sean over. You're a wonderful okay. husband. I do want to hear <laughs> some of his thoughts on this. And uh, we'll pick up the conversation, you and I, um, as soon as I, I you know, pry a little bit and hear Sean's point of view, because sometimes <laughs> okay. it's good to hear from um, from a supportive husband. Totally. Well, Sean, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here for a few minutes. I, I do want to, first of all, just uh, commend you for being an incredible support system to Crystal. I really admire, respect, and value the you know, the, the, the how you showed up for her and for your family. So let me just start by saying that. Um, so welcome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Uh, I, I do want to hear from you. Um, Crystal and I have talked a lot about the relationships of some of the women in their families and the lack of support and how that is such, an, such a fundamental reason why they can't pursue their own kind of freedom and happiness. And Crystal has been lucky in that respect having you. I think it's important to put your voice also in the mix. Um, and I just want to know for you how that journey initially when it started, when Crystal started talking about these things, being a man with a slightly different experience and perspective, how did you take it? And then how did you sort of sit with it? Uh, well, initially, um, I think it was a, a struggle for me. I, I had a hard time. I was uncomfortable. Um, we, I, I was a convert to the faith um, and really tried to just dive into it. Um, my conversion was uh, kind of brought me out of a dark time for me and was I had um, a, a support system. I think within the church that really helped me to kind of pull myself out of that and to, um, and that's where I met Crystal. That's where we got married. So had our kids and had our kids baptized. And so there's so many things that were, um, important to me within that, uh, institution and within that, um, just part of that community. So that was uh, really important. So it was hard just kind of like watching this new evolution of where our family was going. Um, and, you know, the church often talks about the domestic church and how in your family and kind of lifts that patriarchy from the institution and then into the family. And so I think I just had a hard time uh, at, at the beginning, just um, kind of listening and 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 just growing with crystal uh, but i i think that 
over time, allowing her to experience and evolve in in the direction that I really think God is calling her. I mean, I think that ultimately I, I feel like we've, um, through this experience, grown closer to a more authentic Jesus than what we were getting um, and a more loving of, of different communities and marginalized people and, and all of that. So I think it's really taken us in a, a real positive direction. And I think I'm, I'm blessed uh, that Crystal has kind of led the way in that, in that way. Can I just tell you that listening to you talk right now, I literally have goosebumps and, <laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm, I, I make no secret of the fact that I'm not a religious person in the mm-hmm. traditional sense. I, um, I have, and then I have my, you know, my views and my feelings and my questions about the whole kind of existence of, of the, the higher or the greater divine. That mm-hmm. being said, I, I don't know, you know, in the end, I always say, I really don't know if there is or isn't a God, if there is or isn't mm-hmm. an afterlife. And it doesn't matter. All that matters is how I'm choosing to live my life, uh, or at least that's my hope. And But I will say, I feel so inspired by people who have a strong faith in in the the goal that ultimately is to be a better person, and that Mm -hmm. separates them from the dogma and the institutionalized way of thinking and, and being. I do have deep respect for the version of Jesus that sounds like a pretty cool cat, and mm-hmm. I love the idea of subscribing to the messaging that comes through Jesus's teachings, as as with all the other you know great prophets and wise you know men and women that have existed prior to our civilization. So I, I just want to preface that and say that it gives me yeah. so much joy to know that your and this is what I think the listeners really need to pay attention to. This is not a family that's saying we have now turned our backs on our God, on our faith, on our religion. We're just choosing to go to it directly to the source. We're not going to allow a man, a church, an institution, a book, whatever it is, to stand between us and that ultimate relationship. Right. Would you? Well, and I don't. Yeah. And I don't think that God speaks through one. Source. So, I mean, like I recently have been reading things by Thich Nhat Hanh and a number of different resources. And I think that just growing closer to God um, and, and the, you know, whatever the greater being or whatever it is that brings you closer um, in a more loving way towards, towards all people, um, more accepting and inclusive uh, person. I think that that's kind of growing with God. Here, here. Um, I, whoops, yeah. I snap my fingers to that as I kill my mic. Um, yeah. I, but I do snap my fingers to that. And snap seems yeah. to be the word of the day. You'll hear the episode okay. later and you'll find out how powerful the word snap has been today. Um, I, I want to, I, I really want to focus one quick second on yeah. um, the, the, this is sensitive, I think, for some people to hear. But I think coming from you as a man in a family, in, in society, would you say that without a doubt, organized religions, and in this case, specifically the Catholic Church, is designed to serve men, i.e. males, um, above all, um, in a way that not only undermines women, but also is abusive to women and children? I, I definitely think that it sets up a like pseudo kind of caste system that puts a hierarchy that favors uh, the male gender. Um, it puts males in leadership roles then that subjugates women um, to 
I mean, they, they like to say that we lift up women, that Mary was the greatest creation ever made and all of those things. But at the same time, they don't, then they say, well, but you can't do this. And like, you can't be an altar server. You can't go, you know, whatever it is that, that they're saying you can't do. Um, and then women are left in lower positions, um, Mm -hmm. and not lifted up in leadership roles. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think that it favors the patriarchy and, and, um, and really like sells itself short because there's, it's like isolating half the population of, of quality leadership that could, um, help to, uh, show us the face of Jesus and what, you know, and in a real powerful way in our in our world. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah thank you for that. And I think uh, the the message from what you just said is that words are cheap and actions are priceless. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go. And thank you for letting me put you on the spot. I really appreciate yeah. it. Um, what would you say um, would be the message to men who have families, spouses, um, children that tell them, this is happening to me, I need to be heard, and feel the pull of their own pride or their own commitment or their own devotion and choices, because for them that might feel like failure to admit that there's a problem, what would you say to them? I think just listen and be open and value the voice of the people around you. Um, I do think that I, I think that my family um, was hurting that it wasn't, it, it had become something that was, it was just hurting them and they weren't, and there was just things that had happened that I'm sure Crystal has sp- spoke to, but that were um, abusive to her and then that were impacting our kids and then our relationship. And I think once I kind of opened myself up to listening and um, to hearing that and growing with her, uh, that our family became closer and we, I mean, we're doing better now, I think, than we were before and, and, and growing together instead of kind of like growing apart. So I, I just would encourage a conversation and openness and, and love, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So Crystal has done an incredible thing. She's received a lot of feedback. I want you in your words as, as you and I end our conversation, a brief conversation, but I really thank you. Um, can you tell us what you well, can you tell us your thoughts and feelings about what Crystal has done, the bravery that she's shown in in first having the first conversation on the first podcast and just starting to share her story like she has and reaching the point that she has? Can you document your feelings about that? I mean, she is uh, just an incredible woman. I I'm truly blessed, and like if I got anything out of my church experience, like to be her husband and to to have the opportunity to spend my life with her has just been incredible. And like as a mother and as a wife and, um, and kind of like a leader within our family structure and, and I'm, I'm just truly blessed. And so, um, yeah, I don't have, I could, there's not enough that I could put into words for how proud I am of her and her courage to kind of step out and say, no, this is not right. This is enough is enough. I, I need more. Um, for my life than to 
to be um, kind of held down and held back from what I know is right and um, leading us to a greater love for humanity and for people on the margins and people that need a voice. And it's just really led us in so many cool directions and like to so many awesome places. So I, I really um, can't really say enough about what a just awesome person she is. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you having the, the, the kindness and love in your heart and, and the, the, Somewhat, you know, it, it takes uh, it takes a lot for men sometimes to be uh, vulnerable and even humble in that expression. And I will say, yes, Crystal deserves the spotlight like no other in this particular yes, scenario. Yeah. And women don't receive enough of the validation and the credit that they deserve. I will say, though, in this context, because of the weight of your role as a man and the church's institution and mentality, I think you also deserve much praise for being a support system to her, for um, trusting her, for following her. Um, so I don't want that to go unnoticed. I know Crystal has given you a lot of credit for that, but I even and in you know on behalf of women um, who who may subscribe to my way of of viewing you know the the imbalance of patriarchy and and. Mm-hmm. And the whole system, I do want to say thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done. Oh, thank you. And, you know, I, I know that there are other women out there and other families that are having similar struggles because we've had some reach out. Uh, but I guess I would encourage um, anyone who's in the church and feeling having similar feelings that if they need people to reach out to, that um, Crystal and I are here and uh, just... and would just listen and and love them and and give our input if if they need someone to talk to so that's beautiful sean thank you so much i really appreciate you well thank you i i appreciate you too i mean this has been great uh just a really honest and awesome way for uh important way i think um for crystal to be able to use her voice and to be able to be heard and so thank you so much for, oh, an honor. for the opportunity an for her and honor. for us i guess yeah thank you so much it's such an honor right. thank you <laughs> yeah all right crystal that was incredible for me to have the chance to talk to sean as well i i have to say that was uh i think that was important i think it was important because um, so often, we as women have to feel like we have to fight alone, and we have to face these traumas alone. Um, and and when we have, you know, a support system that shows up for us, usually uh, society says, "Well, but they don't deserve any of the credit because you did all the work." And I and I did tell Sean, I think that you are for sure the beacon and the light that deserves all the accolades in this particular situation. But I think just like in the theater, when you see the whole play, we don't see all the work of the folks that are working behind the scenes. And I think in this particular scenario of your story and your family story, Sean really plays a really important part in the background. And I think for families to hear that for other women and men to hear that and find the courage i think is really really important and um i know you're proud of him too definitely i'm so proud of him because it it hasn't been easy you know there's been a lot of uh like i said earlier grief and mixed emotions but there's also come a lot of joy and a lot of um to quote a friend of mine who is still feeling stuck in the church she said to me you're free and that I I feel like my family has empowered me to be that. You yeah. know, we're we're all free together and and I want other people to feel 
free and not feel bogged down and trapped in the institutions that anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, repression and oppression happen in so many different shapes and forms. I know this from my own experience, from my own story, just because you do something that is so visibly uh, drastic doesn't mean that it's not happening in um, more subtle and more invisible ways. It happens every day where people are seeking their freedom, whether it's their voice, whether it's their practice, whether it's their security and stability. It doesn't matter in what form it comes, but freedom is, uh, I mean, it's it's taken away from people all the time in so many micro ways that we don't realize. Right. Um, and in your case, would you say that church in this particular context has been one of those ways in which freedom has been taken away from you and continues to be taken away from others? Yes. Even yes. though they say that freedom and salvation is through this format? Right. Yes. I totally agree with what you're saying because um, so many different things are looked at through what the church teaches. That That's the lens you put on first. You know what I mean? When you encounter different scenarios and situations. And when you don't have that, lens to look through and it's just going off of your your gut your intuition your feeling your your heart you know that is a set that I feel free in that way I don't have to worry about what the community how the community will react or what you know it's just we can we're free mm. in that way I, I want to bring us to a closing here with, first of all, I want to give you the opportunity to share anything else that we did not touch upon, any of the um, consequences, um, reactions, responses since we last spoke, since the airing of your podcast episode, uh, and since, um, since you've started having conversations. Anything there that we want to make sure that we address today before we, we wrap up? Yes, please. Yes. So... Um... After I shared uh, the audio and video clip of, of uh, my former pastor talking about podcasts that you should or shouldn't listen to, mm -hmm. um, he did not reach out to me, but he did reach out to Sean and uh, wanted to meet with him. And uh, Sean said, I'm absolutely not going unless you come with me. And I said, I wasn't invited. And he said, I'm not going unless you come with me. And so, so Crystal, you're dropping of, this bombshell on us right here. Take sorry. the time that you need. No, we are going so, to spend the time we need here. So we met with our, with our former pastor and um, to his credit, he listened. He did a lot of listening and um, he apologized for the way he handled some of the abusive situations that I was involved in. But, um, and I walked out feeling this, I mean, it was the last time I had been at, it was the last, you know, walking out of the church, driving out of the parking lot was the most liberating feeling. Not only did I get to, you know, tell him everything I thought and how I felt and what I thought he needs to do or the church, not just him, but like the church as a whole needs to do differently. Um, I just, I felt free. I felt liberated. I felt, uh, so I, I appreciate that he sat down with us and then I got to have that opportunity, even though I wasn't invited originally. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't last because with that happened, what maybe 
10 months ago, maybe that we sat down and had that conversation. And just a few weeks ago, he was saying what he was saying to people about joining the church. And you know what I mean? So I think it fell on deaf ears a bit, but, um, but I got to have that sense of closure and, and that was a good thing. Wow, that's huge. First of all, let me applaud you for taking the space that you deserved and for um, not waiting for permission to show up to take what is yours. I think that is the biggest act of defiance and act of rebellion that you could have performed in a space where you've been told for so long you only belong as a lovely presence, but don't open your mouth. We don't want to hear it. And so, first of all, there could be no greater closure for you than showing up against an invitation or against anyone's will. So, wow, wow, wow. Second of all, let me just say, while I appreciate um, I appreciate him giving you the space and the time to say what you have to say and even apologizing— um, you know, and it's, I'm not here. I don't, I don't have any vendetta against the church or against them specifically. I just, you know, you, you are someone that I admire and I wanted you to have an opportunity to tell your story. But I will say that true apologies happen in action. And especially when you apologize behind closed doors. It does not validate the victim's story. It does not validate the acknowledgement of what has transpired. And it does not truly validate your omission of your own mistakes and wrongdoings. So um, that apology, I think, was more of, uh, and I'm completely assuming here, uh, great, you said your piece, now please hush up and let's just go on and do your thing. Go love the gays as you please and just leave us alone. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm being I'm being facetious, but I think I mean it when I say that that true action happens in the demonstration of the changes. So, um, yeah, so clearly we know <laughs> where the position stands on that one. Yeah. But for you, the freedom is in the fact that you had to say what you had to say. You took that space and you owned it and you left for good. You know, they always say that when you forgive someone or when you confront someone or when you let it out, it's for you and not for them. A hundred percent. And in this case, it is for you and not for them. I think the only difference here is that you also have a deeply empathetic consciousness that is tied to the other victims that you wish you could save. And that is why right. I think if you continue to use your voice, you will be able to clear your consciousness from that. Oh, that's so deep, Jasmine. <laughs> and it's so true, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right in your assessment of him just wanting to get through it and, you know. For me, as a woman in the church for 20 years, I would have never, ever dreamed of saying some of the things that I said to my pastor. So that in and of itself was like, hell yeah, you know? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, and Sean said to me, he wants to talk about the podcast. There's no way that I'm going to do that without you being there. This was like, you have to be there. It's so... You know, he said either that or I'm going to tell him I'm not I'm not open to a discussion. And I said, okay, I'll go, you know, but I was very nervous. And yeah. and I just want other women and uh, really any gender, I, who cares, mm -hmm. any person to be able to um, speak their voice and speak it in power. And, and when something is wrong, say something, you know, so. 
Well, I, I will say here, I have an open invitation to your pastor. If he wants to talk about the podcast, he's welcome to join me here and we can talk about the podcast and we can talk about any other things that he or anyone else may like to talk about. I truly am. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, in any way trying to destroy anyone. I really just want to raise the voices of people who feel victimized, marginalized, and um, and address that because if ultimately our goal is to be kind, good people, then um, then we have to be okay with accepting ownership and responsibility for the actions that we perform that ultimately hurt others. And I think your story is testament to that. Thank you, Jasmine. Yeah, absolutely, Crystal. Before we wrap up, I just want you to just give us a quick update on how your children are doing. Um, you know, last time we spoke, it was a year ago, and kids grow very, very fast emotionally, intellectually, of course, physically. I, I would love to know what their reaction was to your podcast, because I think the legacy that we carry is in our children. And I know that um, we've talked about Sean's role in this, we've talked about the community's role, but I, I really value knowing how your bravery, which I know ultimately was to protect your children, um, how did they respond to the podcast and, and where are they at right now? Um, their response was fantastic. They're so supportive. There were hugs and tears and, um, they're so encouraging and they are relieved to not be a part of that community anymore. You know, it wasn't until I started to kind of, um, branch out in these discussions in the home that they started saying things like, yeah, you know, I've noticed this, or I've heard this, or this, this was said to someone and I thought it wasn't okay. And, um, so there's just a, they're just very supportive. I don't know what else to say. They're very, um, they're brave kids, you know, and they're happier. They're so much happier now than they were prior to, uh, I mean, they're not to say things haven't come with their challenges, you know, but as far as like um, not being a part of the church community anymore, there's a, like I've said before, there's a freedom there. Yeah. Yeah. And they are brave kids because they have brave parents. They've seen that model to them. And I just want to tie it back to the very beginning, the the story of the one person that, that wrote you a letter justifying or, or kind of um, making excuses for their decision to cut their children off because of who they are. I just want to say this, that to see the joy, the happiness, the relief in our children's eyes, in my opinion, and again, it is my opinion, and what do I know? But I think that that really surpasses instinctively any other reason to do anything. And if we want to believe that there is a God that puts in us feelings and emotions and then would torture us by letting our instinct as parents make a decision that would torture our soul and our children's soul, then I don't know that that is either the God that is worthy of worship or the God that is really the one who exists. So, mm -hmm. That's you know that's my uh, my own uh, warped version of my spiritual belief, but uh, I don't think there's anything in the end that can that can compare to that. Right. I mean, Jesus says in the scriptures that the greatest commandment is to love one another. So I don't know how that is morphed into disowning your your children that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. It makes no sense. It's like in my gut, it's wrong, you know? And so I'm happy my kids don't have to live with 
in that kind of community. And I feel sad for kids and families that are stuck that in this family's instance, she's so the, the indoctrination is so it's so deep. It's so entrenched that I don't know that she'll ever see. And that breaks my heart, you know, because she's got amazing kids. That's painful. That's really, really sad. So as we, as we, Say goodbye today, and and I, first of all, let me just thank you for finding uh, the time and the the commitment to continue the conversation because this is beyond important. Um, I really look forward to seeing where you go from here. Uh, I look forward to some of the conversations that you're having with other women about really creating a community space that it may be a space, it may be an idea. I mean, I don't know what you what you're forming, but I'm really excited to know about it, uh, and I want to make sure that that other people know how they can find that support system. Sean was generous in saying that he and I believe you as a family, your doors are open to people who need that kind of support system. Um, and I, I, I want to thank you and your family for being um, the true reflection of what it is to be a kind, generous, and compassionate person without any conditions. Uh, so uh, thank you, Crystal. In conclusion, I just want you to have the last word, and I want you to say a word of comfort and reassurance to people that you feel that you can really, really relate to as they are deeply immersed in the journey right now? What I would say to them is trust your gut, trust your instincts. If it feels wrong, it probably is. Find someone trusted that you can talk to. If you don't have anyone and you're feeling isolated in this community, please reach out to me. I don't know if Jasmine, if we could give an email address yeah, or we'll something um, because I, I'll be here for you and I'll, I can just listen. I think that's some of the greatest ways we can show love to others is to listen. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I can't say anything else other than thank you. You are amazing. Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity because a lot of people, lots of people have left the church. It's hard to know the number because once you're baptized and you're in, they've got you counted, but there isn't really an exit process. And so, um, so when they say there's billions of Catholics, I'd like to know that actual number. Um, but a lot of people leave and there's no, there's no like defining moment to tell their story. You know, it's just like, Oh, they've fallen away as they would say. Um, and so thank you for giving me an opportunity to kind of put that out there, put it in the community and let other people know that um, they're not alone. Well, it's an honor. It's an honor. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Jasmine. This podcast is produced and recorded by Dante Falk, edited and mixed by Eros Falk, original music by Dante and Eros Falk. Recorded in Olympia, Washington at Casa Nostra Studios. Visit the website, jasminefalkdickerson.com. Ciao for now.